Welcome this morning. We're glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and grab them, or if it's in your device, go ahead and take it out. We're going to be reading from chapter 7. Paul has written Romans, and he comes to this section of the letter and shares with them the limits of the law, the limits of the law. Now, I ask you to bear with me if you're listening to really, really engage in the words because Paul's not kind, neither on the reader nor on the listener here. It's just the way he wrote, and uh, it is a passage of Scripture. But I, what I would like you to do is if you have uh, that, that passage of Scripture, I'd like you to just stand. Stand with us as we honor God's Word as I read this section From Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature or my carnal fleshly nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see it, how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. May God honor the reading of his word. You may be seated. Have you ever responded as Paul did in this passage to something you have done? I mean, think about it. He says, you see how it is in my mind, I want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. You see, Paul is describing somebody who is divided, They're divided of heart, they're divided of mind, they're divided of soul. Rich Velotis in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, shares a couple of stories of how the interior life was divided at points from his outer life. In one case, his anger got the best of him as he and his wife were in a discussion. Something was triggered within him and in a moment of rage, he took the iPhone that was in his hand and slammed it on the counter the marble countertop, and you guessed it, you know what happened. It shattered the screen. 
But more than that, he realized as, a, as he walked in his neighborhood trying to kind of dispel what had just happened, he realized that his desires, his inner desires weren't matching his outer desires. It was just in conflict. There was this division within him. As he writes this section in this very formative book, he says, I don't even recall what Rosie and I were arguing about. Now, some of us can go, that's exactly right. I've been there. I can't even remember what, was, what I was arguing about. But this is what I resonate with, and maybe some of you do too, in different points in my life. But I felt powerless to unanxiously remain present. And this feeling produced a mounting surge of anger on the inside. I didn't have the tools to access my anger and my sadness in a way that would bring me close to Rosie, his wife. As she shared her frustrations about the matter, I welled up inside and my body tensed and I mentally began to check out. As I said, embarrassingly, this has been true of my life. I I resonate with Rich's explanation on this segment that my interior life doesn't match my outer life, that there's this division in me. And this wasn't pre-Christian, this was post-following Jesus. This idea of unanxiously remaining present and this feeling produced, as he said, mounting surge of anger inside is all too common for me at points. I've been there. I'm grateful for God's mercy and his gracious love by his Holy Spirit and practicing the tools of the way of Jesus that I've been, become, I've been able to grow increasingly integrated, increasingly more whole with my outside and my inside. I have much more to go, friends. I desire for the wholeness that Jesus promises, that the crucifixion promises that the empty tomb promises but maybe you're like me so here's a couple of places that I can help you somebody said something to you and without thinking you respond in a way you're not proud of I mean it was instantaneous it just kind of right the driver cut you off and the finger flew up right and you laugh because it's true The reception desk person who has no bearing on what rules or expectations and you just give her the what for. I mean, you just lay her bare, right? And then later you go, oh, Jesus, I'm so, what's going on? Uh, Maybe it's happened at your dinner table. As simple as this, a child spills milk and you get irritated, even mad, right? Later, you realize the reaction didn't meet the appropriate action. It's, it's a reflection, not in the moment that you realize the child needs to be, to be coddled and cared for and ask for forgiveness. Pride is so often our barrier and our ability to change the things that Jesus actually wants to change. These come forth because there is a division. There's a division in our heart and our minds. Maybe it's as simple as this or as difficult as this, depending on who you are. You realize that the water cooler conversation, the social media conversation, the, all of that stuff, you've kind of said, Lord, I, 
I don't want to participate. But somehow, some way, you're participating. You get sucked right back into it. And later you go, oh, what contamination to my heart. Lord, I've just failed you one more time. As people describe their battle with addictions, the addictions themselves can almost kind of take a persona themselves, right? They, they pull the person back even though they have a desire not to be pulled in and they're pulled back in. I don't know what you would term addiction or whatever the triggers are. It does not really matter. But for most of us, all the days of our life, there is this, there's this slow integration that Jesus wants to do on us, this wholeness he wishes to bring to us. But because we want a soothing to those triggers in our lives, because there's this interior irritation, there's this interior war that's taking place, we grab for the instant gratification in the moment and lose out in that moment to what Jesus really wants to bring to us and through us. Remember last week, I talked about the iceberg. I'm gonna use it a little bit differently today. We only see 10% of the iceberg. 90% is below the surface. In Pete Scazzario's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he talks about the iceberg in a great illustration about who we are as people. Right? We have a social, on one side of the iceberg, you'll see it says that we're social beings, we have a physical being, we're spiritual beings, we're emotional beings, we're intellectual beings. The reality is when I look across the auditorium or you see me right now, you only see probably not even 10%, a fraction. But then you pair it with the past, the present, and our future hopes and desires, and all of a sudden there is a collision that's happening on the interior of our lives that Jesus wants to bring about, to bring a wholeness. Uh, It can be a lot of different things. But generally the area that we struggle with that kind of influences all other areas is our emotional area. We've been taught and told through different ways that, well, we'll take care of that later. Stuff it somewhere, I don't want to see it, right? This causes a problem. When we come to Jesus, we don't come to Jesus and he clears the slate on all of that. We come to Jesus just as we sang. He takes all the things of our lives and makes them beautiful, but we have to bring them to him. You see, Rich Velotis in this book, The Deeply Formed Life, which I would highly recommend if you're interested at all, says this, in our attempt to present ourselves as whole, complete, and healthy people, we ignore and suppress various aspects of our lives instead of seeing them together and integrated under God's loving grace. If, if you are not a follower of Jesus yet this morning, you're here or you're online, I'm glad you're here. But truly, this may be one of the reasons why you're not a follower yet. You've seen friends and family members who say they're followers of Jesus, yet their lives don't represent well. There's a reflection on the interior that's coming out that is not what they say they are, right? I don't think that's a place of staying away from Jesus or avoiding Jesus and his invitation to become part of his life. In fact, I think this is really an invitation to become and 
to follow and to learn to love and taste who Jesus is. It's just that you've met underdeveloped, underformed followers of Jesus. People who are not willing to step into the hard work of what Jesus calls us to, to work it through our lives. The other evening, in fact, I think it was just this last week, we watched the movie The Dig. Not one of those fast-moving movies, action adventures, or anything like that. It's about uh, this Sulphic landowner, we're talking England now, in 1939, who hires a local archaeologist excavator named Basil Brown to tackle a large burial mound at her rural estate in Sutton Hoop. Now, it's an incredible thing, right? You find these mounds that are on your land, and you know that there's something underneath them. I love this story. Long story short, if you know anything about tells or burial mounds or digs like this in archaeology, you take it very slow and you take it very carefully. Uh, there are things to be unearthed and found that are gold mines of opportunity. And that was the case here. In this case, and you can watch it on your own time or your own space or place, but Basil Brown actually discovered on this English land, an Anglo-Saxon Viking-era burial boat. Incredible. Incredible. But the same is true with us. We often have these burial mounds inside our souls and our minds and our hearts that we don't want to deal with. Somebody died early in our life and we just don't want to deal with that. Somebody offended us in, in our lives and we keep putting stuff over the top of it, but the reality is, is it doesn't lay buried. It comes out and spurts out in places and spaces in our lives that is unhealthy, unhealthy for others, but really un, more unhealthy for us in living and following Jesus. The, the interesting thing is Jesus calls us into following him. And what we often get mistaken is that he calls us into doing before being. That we want to we be a people of action, especially westernized Americans like we are, right? We just want to keep going, plow straight ahead as hard as we possibly can. But Jesus' call, his work on the cross, his empty tomb was calling us into restoration and reconciliation first of our souls and our hearts and our minds and him before anything else. He wants us to be like him, Rich Velotis, this is the quote up here, says this, to follow Jesus in this world requires us to embrace a fully human life, alive to the dimensions of our interior worlds that often are repressed, ignored, and explained away with Bible verses in the name of respectability. Now you're wondering, where in the world did that income from? But you have to read the book, but I'll tell you quickly, that even inside the church that we have often used scripture to excuse away pain of people's hearts and their minds and their souls. That if you're in Jesus, come on, let's get over it. Keep moving on. Can I just tell you that we serve a loving God who invites us in not just to be a part of his kingdom work and to see grand things done, but his grandest work is in you. His grandest design is to make you into his likeness and when that happens, can I tell you what happens? You spill out everywhere. 
The love of Jesus spills out on others. I would even go so far to say that when we ignore, when we repress, or even when we attempt to probably do this on our own or do it to others, we're not compassionate like Jesus is. He he calls us to be compassionate to ourselves and to others. Using the word in a way that is a weapon is not wise. It's not healthy, and it's definitely not God. But I think he calls us in these moments to... a deeper formed life. And can I just kind of take a side jaunt here? Why am I pressing in on this? I believe, as I said last year, we have had sight into our own souls that we have not seen in years. Collectively as a country, collectively as a community, and even because we have been forced to kind of go, oh, what's bubbling out? Why am I so angry at whatever? Why am I so afraid of whatever? Why am I living in this, in this bondage? Why do I have to lash out? I think we're in a place and a space where we're willing to hear this, even inside the church, and I hope and pray that as we do the work as followers of Jesus, that even the world will take notice, that we can grow to be compassionate, gentle, kind, patient people. I love Paul in, in Romans 7. I, I'm going to reread these sections because I want to get them into our minds. He says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Now, God did make you, and he desires for you to be human. But he desired for you to be more than that spiritual. He desired for something greater to happen into you. In the second part of the, the passage of uh, 7, uh, 14 through 17, it says, I know that nothing good lives in me and that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't, right? How many times in this last week have you been in that place? You, you went, oh, I did what I wasn't going to do. I ate that food I didn't want to eat. I said that thing I wasn't going to say to my kid that I was, said I was going to say. I mean, we're there. Paul's not being mean. He's just pointing up something that is true. This passage can be anything but clear, but, so I, I, I created a few uh, equations that may make it more simple. Some of you may want to talk to me later about it, but Paul's talking about God's law, and he's talking about sin, and he's talking about the revelation and the work of Jesus. So Paul is stating that the law is good. God's law is good. The law serves as directional guides, though. That's all it does. That's all it does. How many of us have, been caught, have caught ourselves speeding unintentionally? Now, some of us have sped intentionally, but unintentionally, right? I have a, my grandmother, when she was still living, I, she had one speed that she drove. It was 40 miles an hour. Didn't matter whether it was in the city or outside in the country where we live. And I'll tell you what, even as a kid, you realize things are flying by way too fast, right? That's the unintentional. It's like, oh, Grandma, you need to slow down. Like I was going to tell her that, right? Right? God's law, though, this is the point. God's law is not to be broken at all. Absolutely at all. And that's, that's what's 
that's part of what we see in the Old Testament. It's not to be transgressed. It's not to be broken. When it's broken, then you've broken your relationship with God himself. And in our best efforts, we can't keep it. In fact, we break the first ones daily. We break it daily. I mean, put, you know, put God first above everything else, and then we're, oh, you should see my new car. It's become a God, or what, you know, whatever we do. I mean, we just have these things, and we break it all the time. And so Paul just continues to lean in. He says, humanity is slave to sin. As a general rule, humanity is slave to sin. I think politics or whatever it may be or social media or whatever it may be for you, everybody has something that they're putting in place. I mean, just breaking the first one, let alone the rest of them, if you're looking at the top 10, right? So God's law, he says, does not free us from breaking God's law, right? It just doesn't do. And even the, the atonements of the Old Testament do not do that. So he keeps going. He said, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. And we know that Paul loved God's word with all his heart. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees, taught by Gamaliel. He probably, he had Psalm 119 memorized without a doubt. And if you know Psalm 119, which talks about the statues of the loving of the law, he had it memorized. It's a beautiful song, yet he couldn't keep it either. And he says, this, this keeps me a slave to sin. So he, another equation to make this kind of a, a, hopefully a little bit simple and for us to move on quickly. We, you, we say to ourselves, I want to do what is right. So whatever that is today, plus I, I do not do what is right, Right? And then what we end up with is this interior war inside of ourselves. We're like, oh, why did I do that again? And he asks the simple question that we all probably ask at some point or another, or, and I'll get to it, we don't. Who will free me from this interior war? Who will free me from this battle that rages within me and out of me? Where am I going to go to get free? Well, Romans 7 doesn't give us the complete answer. If you read into Romans 8, you can get all of it, and it's a beautiful thing. But he does say in verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. But he goes on in Romans 8. Again, you can read it. I'm going to go a little different direction, and he says you're free. But Jesus is the one and only who can free us from the innate inward sinning. He's the only one. No matter how much, how much other things we want to put in the place of there, Jesus is the one. He breaks it because of what he did on the cross and the empty grave. Again, the law guides and exposes us to the sin of slavery we're in. But Jesus is the only one who can restore, reconcile us to God, to a God-honoring life and a love that will glorify and bring his kingdom to bear in our world, first in us and then through us. So what is the key to this? Well, the Holy Spirit's indwelling is the key to a life of Jesus' formation. 
It's, it's the life of Jesus' formation. Before even Jesus died, he was with his friend and disciple. Now, this is an incredible thing. He's not a disciple at this point, Nicodemus, but he becomes a disciple because we know that he helped to take Jesus from the cross and place him in the tomb. You can read the account yourself, but Nicodemus eventually becomes his friend and disciple. It says this, Jesus replied to Nicodemus, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born without being born of water and the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Just a few moments ago, I remember, I, I want to remind you that I said that God's desire for us is to be fully human, but to be fully spiritual, fully alive spiritually to Him, but because of that break that happened in Genesis chapter 3. Because sin entered the world, we are fully human not fully spiritual as he desires. The indwelling of the Spirit, though, once we say yes to Jesus, promotes this life that begins in us. But can I just tell you that when we say yes to Jesus, that's really what happens. It begins a life. There is much more that we have to practice. There are many things that we have to put into play, if you will, to do that. Things get in the way, though, right? All of those things on the one side, our social lives, our intellectual lives, our spiritual lives, our emotional lives, they stand as blockades, potentially. Especially when you pair them with what has happened to us in the past or in the present or what we think about the future and where our our future desires and dreams come. But I think that there's even more. There are two common causes for the divided life as we think about it broadly. As we think about it broadly, if I were to meet with you, I probably would say, okay, these are true, but we could find some really specific things. One is busyness. One is busyness. Can I simply ask you, what's the pace of your life? What's the pace of your life? Uh, Kathy, Otis, and I, Otis is our dog. I don't have a son, so not by the name of Otis anyway. And I drove to my mom's, uh, well, on Friday, she recently had carpal tunnel surgery, and uh, we found her doing well, by the way. It's really good to see. Um, but while there, just kind of pausing in, you know, in the home that I grew up in, I realized this, that I had not pulled back from my doing list, my doing list for quite a while. Now, you hear me talk about Sabbath, and Kathy and I do take Sabbath, and we try to do that uh, not religiously, but relationally. And yet, even on those days that we take Sabbath, uh, the to-do list seeps back in. There's not this refreshment, this separation that comes when you have, you know, I was in my mom's house. It, there wasn't my things to do around there. And I did a few things for her. That was a, a blessing. But I realized, oh, Lord, I just have not stepped back far enough, long enough to have the refreshment, to have the reflection, to step away from the busyness. Now that may or may not be your case, but I would guess that for most of us, even if we're retired here, we don't step back long long enough to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into us, to pause Maybe Sabbath has not been a part of our rhythm, maybe even just saying, I don't need to do anything for half a day or for a day. It's okay. God loves me just the way I am. 
and take those deep breaths. See, I think that most of life is filled with shallow breaths. We're just gasping to get through, right? And God's desired us. He's given us literally lungs that are supposed to fill from the top to the bottom. And yet, because of anxiety or fear or worry or to-do lists or whatever it may be, we're taking these shallow breaths, not realizing the restoration he wishes to give to us because we're caught in the busyness cycle. The second thing that is common is compartmentalization. Big word, but we've been trained to do this from the very, very start of life. Jesus wants us to be whole and integrated, fully designed who we're made to be. I mean, creative, energetic, engaging, however that is for you, he wants it to happen, yet stuff happens. And when stuff happens, I'll get to what the stuff is. I know you're not supposed to use stuff. It's too generic. We place, we place those things in compartments of our hearts and our minds and our souls. Let me just ask, have you ever been made fun of? Whether in your home, your school, or work. And in the likeness, whether it was meant for ill or not, in the likeness, you took it as damaging right? What do you do with that? What do you do that when somebody makes fun of you for who you are, how you are, whatever the case may be? Where do you put that? And especially where do you put it when the very people that you're, you entrust with your life are the ones that are making fun of you, making light of who you are? So many of us have, if you've ever, if you remember the days in kindergarten, or maybe you have these, these type of things in your, in your house, I don't know, but we tend to put those things in cubbies or compartments in our heart, mind, and soul, and we go, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not supposed to access that. That caused me sadness, but I don't know what to do with it. It caused me grief, or I'm depressed, or I'm angry, or whatever the case may be. I'm not, I just am not going to do with it. And we place these things in the cubbies of our hearts, and our minds, and our souls. Even so much so that we do not even let God access those places of our heart, our minds, and our souls to free us, to bring us wholeness, and to bring us health. This is the mistake we have not walked into. We, we not only do it in a one-to-one basis, and sometimes we have to do that. I understand. There are people we can't trust with certain parts of our lives because they just don't understand. I mean, we can talk long and hard about it, but God, he wishes to make you integrated, whole, and see you fully alive. Jeremiah, what that does in us, by the way, is maybe there's not an instant thing that takes place, but there are fractures and fissures that, that, that work their way into our lives very deeply. They, they're just in there, and we don't know what to do with them. And the Jesus, the healer and lover of our soul, wishes to heal them, but we don't give him access. Listen to this word from Jeremiah, not New Testament, Old Testament, from Jeremiah 17. It says this, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots and by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. It le- its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Yet he goes on, 
The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what they, their deeds deserve. But what I want you to pick up on is that God desires for you to be continually fruitful. He wishes for your leaves to continually be green. And I think what, oftentimes what we hear in this verse is that, that we can't trust our heart. And that may be true to some extent, but that we don't give him our heart. And it actually, it actually, it poisons us. And he says, look, I'm the one that searches your heart. I want to know your divided heart because I'm the only one that can make it whole. We have to allow, as followers of Jesus, and if you're a friend here that is not yet a follower, this is where we sometimes miss it. We have to allow God to take us to the next step in our journey. The Lord is the one who searches the heart and he wishes to make it whole, integrated, continually fruiting. So what are the next steps? Psalm 139, verses 1 and 24 said this, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. He finishes with this, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What needs to take place? What needs to take place that, that we need to do is there needs to be an examination of the interior life where we hold our lives before Jesus and let him let him search out our hearts, not to point out the faults, but to bring us to greater wholeness. And will there be faults? Yes. Will there be places he wants to heal because of hurts? Yes, absolutely. But he's the one to do it. Rich Velotis says this, interior examination is a way of life that considers the realities of our inner worlds for the sake of our own flourishing. Hear that. And I believe it's true. And the call to love well. So let me ask you, where are you, where in your heart, mind, and soul are you divided? Where in this last week did you go, oh, why did I, why did I do that? Where did that come from? I think the best place to take that is to Jesus. In next week, we're going to take a look at this a little bit more closely and walk into what it means to examine your heart, mind, soul, and, soul, and to, to do this. But can I ask you to do something for me this week? I think you can hold it up to Jesus, but note those places in your heart where, it's, where you realize, wait a second, why, why did I just do what I did? Write it down. Don't do anything else with it. Jesus is, he's good. He's loving. He wants to heal us where we're divided. Just write it down. Take note. And then just hold your hands up. Pastor Melanie's been good about teaching us to just literally take our hands and just lift it. It's a, it's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of submission. It's a sign that, boy, I can't do this. But I want something different. Friend, I just invite you. Jesus wishes to, have, wishes to give us a fully formed, 
deep life in him. Let's lift our lives to him in those areas. Let's allow, let's allow the cross to do what the cross was intended to do. Let's allow the empty tomb to allow the empty tomb was intended to do. Let's not soothe those things over. Let's bring them to the surface and allow Jesus to speak to them.